The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Parenthood. Your life does not end here. Hi, I'm Chriselle Lim, mother of two. And I'm Sarah Son, also a mother of two. We are longtime friends and now mothers. This is Being Bumo, a podcast about all things parenting. We want to have honest conversations about motherhood so we can each define it for ourselves. We're here to build our village and we hope that you join us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Being Bumo. This is Sarah. Chriselle is not in the studio today. She is in Europe being fabulous for Fashion Week and promoting her perfume Fleur. But Chriselle would... You please hurry back. Ha ha ha. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> Just kidding. Hi, mamas. How is everyone doing? It has been a fun and busy week with the kids. Lots of sporty things on our end. I don't know how my kids ended up being sporty. It's a mystery in my family because I'm not sporty, but they love it. So we're there all the time, every weekend. I'm actually not completely alone for this episode because I have Dr. Kara Natterson. She introduces herself in the episode. This was a really, really fun and eye-opening conversation, not just for me as I am in this age where like puberty is starting. I have a sixth grader and a fourth grader and all of the things that I read about now is about puberty and adolescence and how to sort of understand this developmental stage. So we talk about all of the things. And I think that if you have kids who are teenagers, you probably already know a lot of this. But if you're like me entering the stage, you're going to get so much out of it. And it's very eye-opening. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. We talk about puberty, menstruation, crushes, early sex education, just a lot of the things I, to be completely honest, don't feel sometimes adequate talking about it. And that's why I wanted Kara to come in and give us a little bit of the proper language. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hi, Kara. Hi. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here with us on Being Bumo. I have been wanting to talk to you for a while now, a couple of years, I think, <laughs> since I first met you through a mutual friend. And I just had, I knew that this moment was going to come because I knew this was something I was going to have to ask somebody about, right? So if you guys don't know Kara, Dr. Kara Natterson, she's a pediatrician and the co-host of the Puberty Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast. Thank um, you. So before we dive in into all the questions, because I have many questions because I have a sixth grader now and a fourth grader. So puberty is something I'm looking straight out right now. So before we dive into all the questions, can you tell us a little bit about your practice and why you've chosen this specific developmental stage to focus on? Sure. So I am a pediatrician by training and I was in practice for many years, but I left, oh my gosh, probably about 14 years ago now, I left my clinical practice. And I left for a whole host of reasons, but I think the top of the list was that I had these two young kids and I was taking care of everyone else's kids and I didn't know my own. Mm -hmm. And I had a moment of real oh, I have to decide, is this going to work for me or is this not going to work for me? And on the side, I had written a couple of books. And so I decided to reinvent myself. And I reinvented myself as an author, focusing on medical issues and kids, parenting, parenting through pediatrics. 
And then in 2011, I just pulled my lucky number and I started working with American Girl mm-hmm. and they write, they publish the books, The Care and Keeping of You. Yeah. Care and Keeping of You is a book that was, yep, that's it. I have it right here. Uh-huh. Um, Care and Keeping of You is a book that first came out in 1998 when I was training to be a pediatrician. So I did oh. not write that book, but I did the follow-up books in the series and I went back and added some medical information into the original book. These are cult, beloved, you know, millions and millions and millions of views on TikTok, girls reading to guys, guys reading to girls from the book. It's hilarious. <laughs> Hashtag the caring keeping. It's amazing. Wow. Um, I got really lucky being part of this whole project. And it, it took me around the country. And I met people from all over. And people all had the same questions about their kids and their kids going through puberty. Mm-hmm. And two things happened at that time. This was over the course of the last decade. The first is that there was more and more data showing that kids were entering puberty younger and younger. So we'll talk about it a lot. The second thing that happened is it was very clear to me that I was involved in this book series. It was a big part of people's lives. There was a lot of written content for them, but there was no product for them. There was nothing to physically help them through puberty. Mm-hmm. And so over the last two or three years, I've launched a company that is designed to make puberty comfortable for everyone involved. And that's why we do the Puberty Podcast. And there are more books and there's lots of online content. And we make bras that are comfortable for kids who are developing. And we make shorts that are really breathable and airy. They're kind of like the anti-underpant. <laughs> and for the what, holidays... What makes it breathe? Is it the material or is it a different design? It's the material, but also they have very wide cut legs and a loose saggy bottom mm. and the crotch is super low. They're like mm. the most comfortable thing you've ever put on. Okay. And we size them up. We always size everything up to fit everyone in my family. Uh-huh. So like our <laughs> Just like tall kids. Yeah. Exactly. So we start, you know, very petite, but we get all the way up basically through adult sizing. And then in the winter, we've got socks coming and our socks do not smell. So for people who have kids who have stinky feet. How does that even work? I know. It works because the socks are impregnated with zinc. We use a fiber that is made by a company that has patented the technology and we have partnered with them and we have created a solution to stinky feet. So you are blowing my mind right now because that's a true thing. I have sporty kids. Their socks are disgusting. I think I just want to throw them out. I don't it's not even worth washing them sometimes. I I cannot (gasps) wait for you to try these. They are a game changer. Uh My husband tells this story. He did pick up after a soccer practice. One day when my son was in middle school, he drove four boys home. They all kicked off their shoes in the car. It was pouring rain outside. And he opened every window in the car. The cart water was pouring (laughs) into the car. And the boys said, what's going on? Why do you have the windows open? He was like, oh, no reason. I wanted fresh air. He said he really didn't think he was going to make it on the drive. So we're solving for that. Okay. I appreciate that for every parent who has kids who are doing sporty things or just even everyday or activities. just living. Yeah. Yes. Living with their stinky feet. You really do a lot, Kara. You do create content. You're writing, you produce, you have products now. Like, do you enjoy all of this process? I love it. Really? I've never I enjoyed that. work more than oh. I enjoy it now. I love it. And I love that the story that your story also includes that pivoting, right? Like you started as this and you, you became a mother and you pivoted and yeah. that's, that's fantastic. I think it gives so many of us a lot of hope and just like inspiring, like perspective, right? Yeah, I, I think of it less as pivoting. I used to think of it as pivoting. Now I think of it as building and it's sort of 
just I'm constructing this career and pulling all these threads from all these different parts of my life. I don't think I could do what I do now without a background in pediatrics. I think I needed to understand the physiology and the biology. Mm -hmm. I also needed to talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and their parents. And I will tell you the most fun part of my very fun job is that we have a whole team of interns They are between 18 and 22. They write Mm. content for us about what it was like to go through puberty Mm. recently. They're incredible. They're brilliant. They're fun. They're funny. They're soulful. So I get to have a little piece of that still Mm. in my life, which was probably my favorite part of being a pediatrician. That's amazing. Yeah, you still have that connection with the kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, going back to... Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I I've know, I knew some aspects of your work, but I didn't know all of it. So it's pretty impressive. Take us back to what you said earlier about kids starting puberty earlier. Yeah. What does that look like? Why is this happening? Is there a reason, a specific reason? And tell us about that. So I'll give you a really brief history of puberty to contextualize it. We, in, in our generation, your generation is a little bit younger than my generation, bit, but, but, not- but in, you know, us older folks, we all went through puberty, on average, people who are genetic females, so two X chromosomes, enter puberty around 11, give or take. It would take them a couple of years. They would develop breasts. They would start getting curvy. They would start having their periods, and they would kind of be through the whole process by the time they were about 14 or 15. XY individuals, genetic males, they would start a little bit later, about 11 and a half, and they would, again, start to grow. Their voice would start to drop. Their lean muscle mass would increase. They would take on these masculinizing features and they'd be done by about 16, some 17. There are always outliers. There are late bloomers, there are early bloomers, but that was the average. About 25 years ago, a study came out, 1997, that showed that girls were entering puberty in this country. Girls were entering puberty a year and a half earlier than was predicted. And this was a bombshell study. So what happened? What happens in medicine? People study the study. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure the data is real. Mm -hmm. And when they went back to study the study, a whole new pile of data came out. This was in 2010 that showed that, no, not only was it real, it was even earlier. So girls were entering puberty two to two and a half years earlier. Okay, but then maybe help us define puberty, yes. right? Okay. So let me is tell you, it is? it's okay. a is really it a hair? important is it a It's a is really it a important question. Okay. So the original definition of puberty was written by a guy named James Tanner, a doctor who was actually he didn't write the definition, but he studied what was happening to the body in and I use this word very carefully, normal development. Now, we don't like the word normal yeah. generally in pediatrics because it's got a subjectivity to it and a judgment to it. But he was looking at what is typical. And what he found was he looked at breast development, penile growth and testicular growth, and hair growth. And that's what he was measuring. Now, when we look at what is puberty, in the XX body, we're looking at what does estrogen and progesterone do to the body in order to help it become sexually mature. So the very first sign of puberty is often breast budding. That's the Mm -hmm. early growth of breasts. Although most people will tell you, parents and endocrinologists, those are hormone doctors, will tell you really the first sign of puberty 
is a slamming door. <laughs> I'm so glad you said right? that. I was like a little scared right yeah. now. <laughs> it's the moodiness. It's the eye rolls. It's the eye rolls. It's the uh, yes. Like, okay, mom. Exactly. Yeah. Or the silence, mm. right? So there's lots of moodiness that can be expressed. That's the first sign. And then breastfeeding. Mm. Then things go in any old order they want. The curves, the growth spurts, the skin and hair changes. Interestingly, that's not technically puberty. So you get zits, you get body odor, right? You get all of these skin and hair changes that are a function of hormones coming from your adrenal glands sitting on top of your kidneys. Mm -hmm. That happens around the same time as puberty, but puberty is governed by your ovaries or your testicles. Mm -hmm. And so two different things happening around the same time, but they get confused. Okay. Okay. Okay? So now today... Mm -hmm. The average age for a genetic female to go into puberty is between eight and nine. And it really depends upon ethnicity. And there is not a ton of data about groups other than black girls, white girls, and Latina or Hispanic girls. The studies use different terminology. Mm -hmm. So I try to be inclusive, but you kind of have to use the terminology of the study. But black girls go into puberty first on average. Do we know why? Uh, Well, there's something in their genome mm-hmm. in, the, in the studied group's genome that is being triggered by lots of things in our environment. So it is likely what we are putting into and onto our bodies. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for boys, the first sign of puberty other than the slamming door <laughs> is generally penile and testicular growth, which is a sign that most people won't see. You won't notice. Right? Because most boys get private. Mm-hmm. And I always say to everyone, I did not look at my own son and I'm a pediatrician. So if I resisted, you too should resist, right? Honor the privacy. You Mm -hmm. can talk about it openly in your home. You can ask lots of questions, but it's really when they go in for their physical exam every year with their healthcare provider, Mm -hmm. that's who checks. Average age in this country, between nine and 10. So again, black boys tend to enter sooner, white boys later. And just to give you clarity on the numbers here, 42% of nine-year-old black boys are in puberty. 72% of 10-year-old black boys are in puberty. We are not talking about small numbers here. Okay. Okay. So it's clear. It's it's clear. Not only is it clear, it's old data. This Mm -hmm. is data that came out 10 years ago. So everything I'm saying may sound shocking, Mm -hmm. but it's not new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I got into this field. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's a lot lot. I'm processing right now. Yeah, Yeah. Because I'm thinking back at my kid. He's almost 12. My daughter's 10. I'm definitely, now that you mentioned these Mm -hmm. markers, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely starting to see them. So yes, we tend to focus on the acne, the the actual period as like the markers of, oh, puberty started, but those are not really the things to look out for. No, a period is actually a middle marker. Mm. Puberty started a long time before that. And I should add that when we went through it, it lasted two, three, four years. Now the timeline is double. So we call it the decade of puberty. Okay. What? No, this was oh, supposed yeah. to be a three-year thing. <laughs> it might be happening earlier, but it's like taffy. It's just going mm. slower and slower. So what it marks the end then? What is the end Well, point? generally speaking, mm. the, the moods are there for a while. Sorry. <laughs> but oh. generally speaking, if you've got ovaries and a uterus, if you're having regular periods, generally your puberty has sort of slowed down. If you've mm. hit the end of your growth spurt, your puberty has generally slowed down. If your voice changes have settled out, your mm, puberty... Just so that consistency. All of and, these, yes. Mm. And, and there's a long tail. And like I said before, there are early bloomers and late bloomers. So I know kids, I know boys in particular who have not 
even begun to experience one piece of puberty by the time they're 12 or 13. And that can be very hard. Okay. Be very, oh. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Being then the I'm worried about starting so early, but then there are some kids who just start like a little bit later. Yes. Yeah, I see. And, and, then... and this is what my my oldest friend used to say when we were younger. And oh my gosh, how true it is now. If you're first to go into puberty, that's hard. If you're last to go into puberty, that's hard. And if you're on time, that's hard. Uh, can I ask you something? I yeah. feel like the a great thing about this conversation is that we're talking so much about it. I yeah. think that there's been such an expansion in talking about puberty, your period, your breast, the boys, the masturbation, all of the things, right? Yeah. Like I didn't grow up talking about that, yeah, right? That's right. But my question is, not that are we talking too much about it, but is there sometimes like, I think back at my experience, like I didn't really have the reason why I love your pod so much is because I feel like I'm having the chat I was supposed to have with my mom 15, 25 <laughs> years ago. So, you know, learning so much. I didn't really have that. And I went through it and it was okay. It wasn't like so crazy and like so traumatic. And, and you're like fine. That. And, and you're fine. here. And I get it. Yes. And like, so sometimes I'm like, are we pathologizing? Are we, are, yeah. Isn't right? it sometimes too much? Yeah. I'm asking you this because, and you give me your thoughts. I don't know if you're feeling this and if there's a trend around this, but sex education seems to be creeping in younger and younger and younger in school and like in different groups and things like that. And I get it. I, I do think it's, it was, somebody told me, oh, the reason is because girls are getting their periods in fifth grade. So we want to address it to the class just in case, you know, it happens during school. And like, we want the boys to know about it and the girls and everybody to know about it. So, you know, it takes away some of the embarrassment. So I completely understand that. Yeah. But then sometimes there are also a lot of kids, like you say, a little bit later bloomers yeah. who are not really thinking about these things. They're thinking about football and Minecraft or whatever. Yeah. And then they're just like, oh, I didn't even realize like this was happening. And so it's so there... you're asking two questions, but they're very connected. Okay. And let me tether them together. Okay. My answer. So you did not have these conversations when you were growing up. Right. I did not either. Okay. And you turned out fine, right? <laughs> Better than fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're okay. But so so that's that's the first half of the question is then why are we having all these conversations now? And the second half of the question is how much do we need to steep our kids in this language and in this content? What's going to keep them safe and healthy and yeah. what's just too much too right much now? Info. Right? Okay. And the answer mm -hmm. is if all the language were normal and just typical everyday language, if we talked about our arms and our legs and our vulva and our testicles in the same way, okay. right? Then we would not be pathologizing or or sort of making salacious mm -hmm. those reproductive body parts. We'd just be talking about them like body parts, at which point the conversation about this hurts, can I get some help? Or someone did something to my this. It could be my earlobe, mm -hmm. right? And it could be my breast. Mm -hmm. I, it shouldn't matter. The body part shouldn't matter. So what you're feeling mm -hmm. is the introduction of language that you never had. Anatomical language as not bad words is a new concept for us, but this is how our kids are growing up. And it does, the science shows, it does keep kids safer and healthier mm -hmm. if they, they know, know their body parts mm -hmm. and if they can talk openly about it. Why does it keep them safer? They can identify when something's not feeling right. They can identify what does feel good, which becomes very important for later sexual pleasure, actually. They can ask 
other people as they get older for consent in more clear and direct ways, and they can give consent in more clear and direct ways. So what you're asking about is the language acquisition. That's what feels foreign to us. And I think we are way overdue to make these words sort of a part of our common Mm -hmm. parlance, right? Mm -hmm. I will say a moment on sex education. Yes. Sex education should not be called sex education. It should be called health education or something much better than health education. But But that just that alone changes the perspective. Right, because the class that kids need to have by the time they're in fourth or fifth or sixth grade is much more about hygiene, nutrition, exercise, sleep, respect for the body, respect for other people, having other people's backs, much more than how to have safe sex, okay? That being said... And this is something that I anticipate you're going to ask me about. (laughs) The average age of first porn viewing in this country, depending upon what study you read, is between 11 and 13. Okay? I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Right. And so if we, as the adults in the room, don't help kids understand that they have the right to be the authors of their own sexual narrative, right, then we basically leave them to be sex educated on porn sites. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. Most kids are not looking for porn when they're in fifth and sixth grade. Right. But porn finds them. It finds them on a Google search with a misspelled word. It finds them on social media. It finds them at a friend's house because a friend has found it. It finds them. It finds them. Yeah. So if you already know that the chances are, if you've got a kid in middle school, that kid's seen porn, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Well, then... Shouldn't we be having conversations where kids can come to us and say, I saw this thing and be able to use accurate language and then talk to you about it so you can empower them, not just to turn it off or to walk away, but also to be the authors of their own future sexual narrative. That was not real sex. That scary thing you saw on the free porn site with violence and aggression, that's not the sex I hope you have. Yeah. I know none of us wanted to have this conversation with a 12-year-old, but this is the world we live in. I know. It's a yeah. lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I think that is the, the those are the connections, right? It's like yeah. now we're as parents, we're asking to, you know, can you sign a consent that we're going to have this conversation with your 12-year-old? But it is an anticipation of what you just described. And it's also a school's way of trying to get the parent to have the conversation first. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Listen, for parents who are really not comfortable having the conversation. Yeah, talk, you can, talk to that parent. Like, yeah, just to give them that reassurance that this isn't going to lead. I guess the fear, right? It's like if you expose them too early, they're going to try it earlier. Yes, right? if you educate them about it, they're going to try it. No, right. that no. does not. It's okay. not true with alcohol. It's not true with drugs. And it's not true with sex. Okay, And okay. even when that kid is not even curious about it. Correct. You have oh. not led them to water and now you're telling them to drink. What you've said is you're going to hear these words, you're going to hear these concepts and hear the fundamentals, but no health education in school should be the be all and end all. The health education is the beginning of conversations at home. And so to the parent who's really reluctant, what I say is, I hope you don't outsource entirely to the school. Okay, I I deeply, deeply hope you will take the moment to begin the thousands of conversations. Mm. You're going to have little short conversations. There's no such thing as one yeah, talk. It's not like you, there's right? like one, the one talk. No, right. right? But that said, if it's too hard for you to start it and your school starts it, 
pick up the ball where the school left it. Uh, and it does open up a safe place, right, for the kids right. to ask questions. And maybe some kids are starting to yeah. notice that their breasts are growing or that yeah. they're having, yeah. Or to laugh. I mean, <laughs> the language yeah. is really awkward. Silly, yeah. And sometimes, like, I've been in plenty of classrooms where literally this is what happens. I say penis, they laugh yeah. for five minutes straight. Right. And it for like just, a week. <laughs> yes, it just is what it is. Yeah. And that is so normal. And it's actually really endearing and sweet and fun. Yeah. And you just you let just it all play it. out. Yeah. 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 What is, what are some of the things? So it sounds like all of this is normal. We should have, be having these conversations. Yeah. What is something as parents we should be looking at that isn't normal? Like, are yeah. there things that we should be in this long taffy period, is there something, are there some signs that we should be looking out for that may concern us? Yeah, so there there are a couple of buckets here. There's physical, there's emotional, there's social, okay? So let's take physical first, that's easiest. Mm -hmm. If there's something happening to your kid's body and your child is worried or you're worried, you make an appointment and see your healthcare provider. That's easy. You should never live with the fear. Let me give you the most common example. Most common example is breast buds. Okay, those are those really tender little nubs that pop up under the nipple when when breasts are first developing. All genetic females have them. 50% of genetic males have them. Okay. Okay? Uh They almost always pop up on one side before the other. And what do you think people think is happening? Their period. No, no. They think they have breast cancer. Oh, because there's a lump. Kids? Oh, and so sad. right, it's terrifying. And so the kids are living with fear, or the parents mm. are living with fear. And you know what the easiest thing to do is? You call and make an appointment, and you have someone who's trained who can sit down, examine, and go, "Oh, this is totally normal." Okay. And now you've just lifted ten tons off their shoulders and off of yours. Of course, right? Yes, people are worried about periods too. <laughs> I think I am. Because, you know why? Because I, I, I did. I had like my own experience, but I also just heard two weeks ago, a friend told me that her daughter had her first period experience, and it was pretty awful. Yeah. You know, it was just like it was not. It you want a good one? You want to write that story for your kid too? And I hate to tell you, but you can't. But there are incredible things you can do, and we could talk about yes, that. Yeah, let's talk about like how to prepare for that. But yeah, yes, we we will talk about that. Yeah. But let me. I'll just go through the other two buckets really quickly. So there's the physical bucket of what to worry about. Then there's the social bucket of what to worry about. So there are big social shifts that happen late in grammar school around fourth and fifth grade, and mm-hmm. again through middle school, especially seventh and eighth grade. And those social shifts can leave kids alienated. And so you want to make sure to be in conversation with your kid about how they're doing, connecting with friends. Kids only need one, but they need one. Mm. And then there are the emotional shifts. And I bring this up as its own category, partly because it is and partly because it has, through pandemic and beyond, become the biggest category. So we are in a mental health crisis Mm. in this country. Kids are in a mental health crisis Many, many, many more kids need the help of a mental health specialist because they've been socially isolated through COVID or they've missed certain milestones or they've developed sadness and depression around things that happened during the pandemic. Maybe they lost family members. Maybe there have been financial hardships and they need help. If you think your child is struggling emotionally, Go to your healthcare provider and see if you can get a referral. Go to your school. School counselors can Mm -hmm. give referrals. If you have a local community therapy center, that's a great resource. 
people who are in the field of mental health are working around the clock right now. They've never been so busy. busy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some parents are saying that they're not even available. It's very, very hard. Yeah. So then someone. what can parents do at home? Maybe yeah. a couple of things to help support mental health. Well, they need the help of someone who is in the field to help them triage how serious the situation is. But if the situation is deemed sort of everything's going to be okay, here are some tools in the toolkit, then the most important thing is that you act on those tools. And usually the suggestions are very simple. When you're with your kid, be present with your kid. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. It means put down your phone. Right. It means be present in the space, locked uh, in eye contact or not in eye contact because sometimes conversations <laughs> are much. better without it, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, but just um, spend quality time with them. Be like, present them. when you can, mm. okay? Another thing, make sure that they feel safe. That's not always easy for some parents. Mm. Some parents are in situations where their kids come home after school and they're on their own and the kids don't feel safe. So come up with mechanisms. Maybe that's a time where you're FaceTiming your kid to check in mm. and you've got eyes on them in a different way. Or mm. maybe they have a friend come with them or an, an older cousin or uh, an older sibling who can meet them because sometimes there's a little bit of fear around that. Mm. It's a very sort of narrow example, but one yeah. type of example. Yeah. So making sure your kid is safe and then connecting with their connections. So when your kid's friends know you, mm -hmm. then they know they can come to you when they're worried about your kid. When oh, the, the kids themselves, not the parents, the okay. kids oh. themselves, okay. because it takes a lot mm -hmm. for one kid to go to their parent and say, I'm worried about so-and-so. Mm -hmm. And then that parent to pick up the phone and call you and say, my kid's worried about so-and-so. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. But it takes two points of connection, and okay. it's scary for that one kid. Okay. If that one kid finds you accessible, mm. sometimes they will text you or reach out to you directly because you're accessible and open okay. to it. Okay. So know oh, your kid's friends. friends. You're right. You're right. It's like creating the space not just for your kids, but all of their friends, too. Yeah. Yeah. But don't be best friends with your kids' Maybe friends. Maybe not best friends. No. No, no. 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 They, they have friends. No, they friends. need to know that yeah. you're the parent. You're, yeah, 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 you're yeah. not the friend. Okay, so good. Oh my gosh. Again, just processing all of this. Oh my gosh, Kara. I, I'm like thinking of all these moments. <laughs> I'm like nodding as you speak. I was like, oh yeah, that one time. Yeah. Okay, really good. Yeah, this whole mental health thing right now, it's, 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 it's overwhelming sometimes for parents. It's overwhelming for us. Yeah. It's overwhelming for our kids. Yeah. And frankly, we've got our own mental health issues, yeah. right? I, I think it feels in the moment like life is back. We're not exactly post-pandemic, by the way, but it feels like life is back, mm -hmm. and yet it doesn't, right? We all are carrying some battle scars yeah. from the last couple of years, yeah. and so I think we all need to do some work on ourselves to make sure that we're getting our own emotional needs met. Yeah. Can you explain something earlier that was really interesting that you said it's one of a thousand conversations? <laughs> like, yeah. Can you talk to us about what that yes. really looks like in the next 10 years or whatever years. Totally. I think this actually makes parents feel better uh -huh. because sometimes they dread the talk, <laughs> right? I used to always ask patients in my office when the kids were alone with me in the exam room, I would say, hey, if you had the talk with your parents and they'd say 90% of them, no, <laughs> no, my parents aren't interested in having so weird, this and that. And then I, when the kids were getting dressed or whatever, I would be in my office talking to the parents. I'd say, oh, have you had the talk with your kids? And they would tell me in great detail where the talk happened, when the talk happened, what was said. Uh -huh. And it was just a really good little informal survey that reminded me that if it's one talk, most kids don't hear it. They forget it, yeah. So you don't need to do one big talk. You don't need to brace yourself for it because 
it doesn't work anyways. Mm. So what you do is you grab teachable moments where and when you can Mm. and have short, short conversations. If you're walking down the street and you see something and Mm. you go, oh, I should have a quick conversation about that thing, whatever that thing is. You see a billboard that seems sort of inappropriate or Mm -hmm. gross or both. Yeah. Grab it and have the teachable moment because mm-hmm. your kid's seeing it too, They're looking right? At You're it. watching a show together and there's a scene playing out. One kid kisses another and doesn't get consent. Mm-hmm. Just press pause. Hey, what did you notice was missing there, right? It's very short conversations. You'll know when your kid's done with the conversation because one of two things will happen. They'll mm-hmm. either mentally shut down mm-hmm. or they will physically leave <laughs> the room. <laughs> and if they do that, you're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm not going to have that talk anymore, but I will do another one another day. And if you start getting comfortable. That's, because that's with everything, yes. right? We're teaching, that's with everything and it applies to this. hundred <laughs> percent. So if you start doing this on a regular basis, mm. You'll find yourself having two, three, four minute talks with your kids every couple of days and those talks add up. Mm -hmm. And over time, you have had thousands of talks covering lots of topics. Sometime it's the same topic covered multiple times over. And that's important. You have Mm -hmm. to feed a baby the same food like eight or 10 times before they stop spitting it out. Okay. So same with information. And it's simple as did you use soap in the shower? You know, <laughs> yeah. That question may be asked several times, Many times before soap is used. And you'll have to explain yourself. Occasionally, you'll fill in the why, which mm-hmm. is really effective. If they stay in the room, it really mm-hmm. helps to know yeah. the, the reason behind your answer. But you just do it over and over and over again until they they will tell you when they know. And they're like, okay, mom. mom. <laughs> You say this every day. In my house, it's, Mom, you talk about porn every day. <laughs> Sorry. And fentanyl. I know. Oh, God. Fentanyl. Yeah. yeah, we're not there yet. Yeah, I know. Last week, I spent some time with my kids building the Fun With Flight Kiwi Co. Crate, and it was amazing. You can build a rocket launcher and create a set of your own flying rockets. Play with flight and learn about flight, thrust and air resistance through rocket building. It taught us how to tinker and how to launch and make rockets fly through the sky. It was such a fun way to understand how kites work. You guys know by now that we love KiwiCo because they are defining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. They create super cool hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love for learning among kids. Discover subscription lines for kids of all ages ranging from infants and preschoolers all the way to teens. Grown-ups are welcome to join in the fun too. KiwiCo delivers enriching hands-on experiences that spark curiosity and inspire creativity. And kids can discover the engineering and mechanics behind everyday objects and the science and chemistry of cooking, geography, and culture from new cultures and brand new art and design techniques all through seriously fun hands-on projects. So if you haven't tried KiwiCo, you absolutely must. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code BUMO at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code BUMO. What's the vibes? I'm EJ, head of special projects at DBA, and this is Who's On Content, a show that explores and dissects the influential, behavioral-altering power of content through thought-provoking, culturally relevant, and industry-shifting dialogues. We're chatting with social media platform leaders, marketers, journalists, 
and content creators contributing to the content shaping the global society we live in. I mean, folks, let's face it. Content is everywhere. It's visual. It's audible. Hell, it's even edible. Go with me for a second. The content of your favorite restaurant informs the content of your Yelp review. <laughs> See what we did there? Tune in to hear who's on content. Well, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because we're not there yet. But you did talk about if you see a movie yeah. and there's a kissing scene. Yes. And then, you know, your kid, like some kids see that and it kind of goes over the head. Mm -hmm. Some kids suddenly are kissing their pillows or something. Mm -hmm. Like, can you talk to us about crushes yeah. in elementary school? What sure. that looks like? Is that normal? What are they really thinking when they talk about that? Like, I have a boyfriend, yeah. I have a girlfriend. So... Crushes are completely normal. They are a combination of sort of a personality and temperament. There's some kids who, from the time they're two and three and four years old, right, have always had a girlfriend or a boyfriend or feel like they want their connectors. They want to be paired with someone or they want to pair people, right? Uh -huh. Certainly, when estrogen and progesterone and testosterone in the male bodies starts to surge, that starts fueling what I'm going to call sexual urges, but are not what you're thinking as sexual no. urges, right? Okay. It's like this very, very basic, like level one. I just have this feeling. I okay. just have this attraction. Mm -hmm. It's we've all felt it, mm -hmm. but we don't want it to happen to our kids because it feels like it's an adult thing. And it's not. Okay. Think back to third okay. grade. I had I mean, a crush in third grade. I wrote right? a boy a letter. Yeah. See? And it's part of the human experience and it's normal. But if we jump to sexualize it, we're not doing ourselves any favors. We're not doing our kids any favors. So, like, what should we say if our kid's like, Mom, my boyfriend so-and-so? Like, what should we say? What do you mean by that? That's so interesting that you okay, use that word. Curious. Tell me what you mean by that. No. Anytime you don't know what your kid is talking about, and there will be a lot of times that you're like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Ask them, right? Because part of being a really effective parent is actually listening yeah. which means prompting them to tell you what's going on. As your kids get older, you are going to learn so much from them. Uh -huh. You're going to learn language from them. You're going to learn about trends. You're going to learn about all sorts of stuff. Only if you ask, though, and right. if you listen. Okay. Yeah. It's like always a good place to start just to be curious right? as to what they mean. Right. But yeah. we're very quick to sexualize kids in a way that is yeah. inappropriate. They are not there yet. Yeah. So why do we go there? Do you have do you have an understanding of when, of course, I jumped there, but like when kids should be dating and should not be dating? Because sometimes as they get a little bit older in elementary school, they do have a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And there is a little bit of like hand holding and movie watching together. Is that what is so, that? We did a an episode on the Puberty Podcast mm -hmm. about hookup culture. Oh, uh-huh. And it was a very upsetting episode. It was an amazing, I, it's probably my favorite episode, but it, even though you're not supposed to have favorites, but it- <laughs> I'm telling Vanessa. It was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was upsetting because it rocked my world in terms of understanding the order of operations for- Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So those are the Gen Z is sort of kids born. I think it's 2000, 2012. And then Gen Alpha are the kids born 2012 and later. Okay. And oh. it rocked our world in terms of understanding because they don't do what we did. They don't like someone, which then goes to, I want to go out with you, which then goes to dating, which then might go to a little bit of physical handholding or, you know, depending upon their age and their level of sexual sophistication, you go on from there. There was sort of a path of right? operations, right? Yes. No, no, what no, no, no. It is 
all over the map with this generation. Oh, so man. going out with that day, that time stamps us right there. Okay. So what, what the teenagers who work with me will say is some people do have tr- more traditional paths through, but there's no norm anymore. Okay. So as you get older, there is sexual attraction and hooking up, uh-huh. which exists sort of over here in one space. And then in a separate space is a committed relationship. Okay. And generally speaking, one has very little to do with the other. And the sexual or physical often comes first, like by weeks or months first. Okay. And it it's very complicated for us to understand when we were sort of given a very prescribed order of things. But okay. Was it really any different in our time, or did we just label things this way yeah, or not talk about it? Correct. As much. Right. And so, when you ask what's the right time, first of all, there's no right time. Mm-hmm. It depends on the kid and it depends on the family mm-hmm. and what's comfortable. And it may be the right time for your kid and not comfortable for you, and you're the parent and you're allowed to say, I'm not ready for this yet. But talk to your kid about it and yeah. explain why. Yeah. And I would. Add that consent is a huge issue and an issue that kids have to understand through and through as young as middle school. They have to know that they are always expected to both give and receive Receive consent. consent. It goes both directions. It doesn't matter what your gender is. And they can practice it. They can practice it with non-sexual scenarios like, hey, could I borrow your sweater, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, this is easy, right? Yeah. Can I have a bite of your sandwich instead yeah. of just grabbing your sandwich? Yeah. These are these are ways to flex that muscle of consent. Mm-hmm. But consent does play into the question that you're asking because one of the reasons why parents are reluctant to let their kids start to explore this whole world, partly they're afraid their kids are going to become sexually active earlier, yeah. and partly they're afraid their kids are going to get caught up in a problematic sexual relationship, relationship mm-hmm. that has to do with consent issues. Yeah. So it's worth talking yeah. about all of it. Yeah, one of the thousands of, of conversations we've Like 25 of the yeah. thousands of conversations. Yeah. Is it? Does it feel like that's kind of part of the conversation and the thing, the tension that I'm always thinking, like because we talk about it so much more, kids have more knowledge and that's great. But then also, I guess I go back to like exposing them too early to certain things that they maybe don't need to, but I guess. So I, like you, did not really want my kids exposed to a tremendous amount of sophisticated content early on. But I've come to understand that thanks to the smartphone, Mm. we really have no control. So... I don't mean to suggest that you should not exercise control. You should. Phones, iPads, computers, any wired device or wireless device, parents can and should limit kids' exposure as long as they can. You want to manage what platforms they're on. It doesn't matter if your kid owns one or not. If they have access to yours and they're jumping on and logging in, they have access, right? Devices should not sleep in the room with kids. Not far. You should delay access to devices as long as you can. Like These are all good yeah. things, right? Yeah. And yet the minute they get on the bus or the minute they yeah. go sleep over at someone's house, the rules you are different. You have no control. You have right? no control. Yeah. So in that scenario, how do you talk to your kids? We're back to one of the thousands of conversations. Yeah. How do you talk to your kids about why you feel the way you feel yeah. and about why you want to slow down their access to seeing all these things? 
you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. I had to figure that out for myself. But it's the communication of the why that helps kids to begin to understand and take your values outside of the house. If all you say is no, and they go to someone else's house, it's very tempting. If you say no, because this is what I'm thinking, Mm. then they leave your house, they go to someone else's house, and you're a voice in their head, and they're like, hmm, this is what my mom is thinking. Now, they may not do what you want them to do, but you stand a much better chance of them being respectful of what you've said. And the other thing is, if you're non-judgmental in the Mm. conversation, you open the door to them being able to come back to your house and tell you what they did. And that, that is the name of the game. Because you don't want them to go through the things alone. That's right. And then be scared that I'm going to get in trouble because mom doesn't like this. Because of the shame around it and the judgment they fear and the punishment they fear and all of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many good nuggets. I, I have one final question. Okay. Before we end the pod, I'm processing so much. <laughs> Let me get back to the mask. Okay, so Kara, I have one last final thing before we end the podcast. And, and, and you've given us so much advice and so many good nuggets. But to end, do you have any last words advice and advice to best manage this transition? Mostly for me as I'm entering seventh grade and looking at it. And just like how to best manage this transition in a positive way for both myself and my kiddos. Yeah. So let me start by saying that based upon the ages of your kids and their genders, that all bets are your two kids are going to be going through their puberty in lockstep. Mm. Girls tend to, genetic females tend to be be physically and emotionally maturing about a year and a half to two years in front of genetic males. So congratulations oh, to so you. Say, oh, You've got puberty twins. Oh my right? God. I didn't even think about that, but it's true because oh, yeah. I do see it a little faster from her. Okay. Uh-huh. So okay. that's super fun for you. Oh, goody. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you. I'll be calling you every day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My best advice, and this is the hardest piece of advice to follow, But my best advice is keep the lines of communication as open as you can by taking do-overs. And what I mean by that is when you mess it up, which even though you are the best mother in the world, (laughs) you will mess it up very occasionally like the rest of us. Right. If you can acknowledge to your kids, wow, that went really badly. <laughs> that conversation. I did not was, need to lock your room. I, I did it. <laughs> not mean to do any of these horrible things I just did. Yeah. I did not mean to say what I just said, yeah. or I meant to say what I said, but I didn't mean to say it the way I said it. Yeah. If you can own what you just did yeah. and you can take the do over, which sometimes means apologizing, but always means trying it a different way, that is a strategy that will serve you so, so well because. It reopens a door that gets shut when you do things the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And it teaches your kids that failure is okay. We always tell kids, don't be afraid of failure. And then when we fail in our role with them, we don't acknowledge it right. and show them what it looks like to reinvent. So whenever things go south, and they will, just stop for a second. And maybe it's five minutes later, or maybe it's a day later, maybe it's a week later. Yeah. Circle back when you realize and say, I really screwed that one up. I'm so sorry. I want to try it again because it really matters to me that you hear it, but I want to try it a different way. 
So good. And then, because you know, puberty is going to last almost 10 years. I so mean, you've got lots of opportunity. Oh my, lots of chances <laughs> to mess it up. You have oh, so much opportunity. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I do think like we are the ones that teach our kids how to brush their teeth, mm-hmm. how to tie their shoe, how to hold a pencil, all the things, how to pour milk in their cup and how to say sorry, like you mentioned. It only makes sense that we talk to them about this. Right. And I do think that I come from a background where like a lot of this wasn't spoken about, mm-hmm. like, you know, period, sex, development, yeah. hookup, like, what does that look like? Like you said, I come from a family. It's like, I grew up with abstinence. Actually, do people not talk about abstinence anymore? Is that not a thing anymore? Well, it's not effective to talk about it. Okay. Right? Okay. If someone chooses abstinence, great. That's their choice. But they still deserve to be educated about yeah. what to yeah, do yeah, if yeah. they don't choose abstinence. Right. Right? True. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. So I, I do think it's it's so important for us to talk to our kids. And like you said, start earlier with you know without thinking that by exposing them or talking that we're going to push them farther into it you don't have to get to the ap course sure before doing the intro level so you know start with baby steps start start with information your kids already know let them eye roll let them say i already know that (laughs) oh you do well did you know this right Get a gauge on what they know. Trust me, sometimes they will tell you they already knew that and you have just redefined something that they had so wrong in their head. And that is the beauty of playing a little bit dumb with your kids, right? And just starting from square one. Well, we will end with that. Dr. Karen Anderson, thank you so much for coming on the pod. I hope you come back, to be honest. (laughs) I would love it. Thank you for having us. Where can people find you? So you can listen to the Puberty Podcast and you can check out Umla, which is our content and product company. And it's at myoomla, M-Y-O-O-M-L-A.com. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We want to keep this conversation going with you. So please leave us a DM on Instagram and make sure to follow us and subscribe to our podcast. And we would love it if you left us a review. Also, if you're in the Los Angeles area, make sure to visit us at Bumo Work at Westfield Century City Shopping Center. And if you're looking for educational-based content entertainment for your little ones, visit us at www.bumobrain.com or at Brain on Instagram. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.